So we're in this uh, series called One Story. If you haven't been here, this is your first time. We're talking about how the whole Bible fits together um, as one unified story that God is writing. Um, and really, it's it's God's writing His story. Um, we see we read it in Scripture, but it's also just about reality that we see ourselves in the story. We see where we're at right now in history in this story. We see all of history and all of the future as a part of this one story that God is writing. And that's because, and why we're doing this is because we believe that stories shape us. That the story that you find yourself in, the reality that you see um, your lens of life through, shapes how you live. When I was thinking about it this week, um, it's kind of it's probably getting redundant for you because I tell you this every week. But as I was thinking about it this week, I was thinking about how I was a kid, and one of my favorite shows was uh, Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. Um, I don't know, has anybody seen that? Some Gen Zers in the house, maybe uh, young millennials saw that. Um, great show on Disney Channel. It's about two um, two twin boys that live in a hotel. Um, and they, the whole show is about their shenanigans, how they get into trouble or how they find fun things to do, um, with their unique life of living in a metropolitan hotel. And I watched this all the time. I would come home from school and watch it. I would, I would go to bed watching it. I would, um, wake up and if it was on, I would probably watch it. And I, so, and as I look back on my life as a probably seven through 14 year old, yes, I say 14. I watched it till I was a teenager. Um, my life was shaped because of this this story that I immersed myself in, because of this show that I watched so frequently. My lens was always through, or I, I looked at life through the lens of what is going to be fun because of Zach and Cody. What am I? What kind of mischief am I going to create today? How am I going to use the the place that I'm at specifically to create some kind of fun or entertaining um, day for me? Um, and this is just an example of my life how. I immersed myself in a story, whether it be a show or a book. I wasn't much of a reader, still not much of a reader, um, more of an audiobook guy. Um, I know it's controversial whether or not that counts as reading or not, but I'm a countant. Um, I'm with you, Cody. Amen. Yeah, there we go. Uh, <laughs> but the stories that we immerse ourselves in become our lens through which we see life. Um, the, the, whether it's the shows, the stories, the, the books, the movies, um, they shape how you see your life and how you see reality. And so the goal in our series is for us to be able to see the whole story of the Bible so that we can align ourselves with it, so that it is the lens of reality in which we see life, of which we live into our calling, which we live into our calling as dads, as moms, as um, husbands, as, as single people, as wives, as um, wherever you work. Um, this is the lens through which we want to be able to see reality because this is God's story um, ultimately. Um, we have all these little stories that, like Sweet Life, Zach and Cody, that we could live into, but the ultimate story is God's story, and we want to align ourselves as closely to that as possible. And so we've been through, we saw creation. We saw that God created the world and created it all for good and for his glory. And he created us. He created people in his image to be his image bearers, to spread the picture of his glory across the world, across the earth. And then we see in the fall that the humans that he created decided that they wanted to be the decision makers um, for what is good and bad and for what the lens that they saw the world in was, is how they could decide instead of what God could decide. Then we saw a little glimpse into Israel when Derek came. He, he preached about um, the Abrahamic covenant and how God, even despite we turned away from in, in the fall, he didn't leave us and he still has a plan to deliver us and for good um, and good for this world. And then last week we talked about Jesus and how it all culminates there, that the deliverer that, that God promised to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant was fully seen and happened in the person and work of Jesus. And this week we're at the thing that comes after Jesus the church, talking about church today. Um, 
and we have moved past the Gospels. But guys, this whole story is how his God's story culminates in the person and work of Jesus. So we haven't moved past Jesus. We've moved past the Gospels. We have not moved past Jesus because it's still all about Jesus. What we do on Sundays and what we do throughout our lives or throughout our weeks as the church, as God's people, all has to do with Jesus. And so that's what we are talking about today. And today is really cool and unique, I think. And, and I think for myself, uh, when realizing this part of the story, you get, you come, get to come to kind of an impasse because all of it before is just understanding. We understand what happened in the creation. We understand what happened in the fall. We understand what happens in Israel. Maybe it's a long, it's a long part of the story. And we understand what Jesus did. And now we're at the point in God's story where we are actually engaging, where we are interacting and living our lives and doing this thing of life that God gave us. Um, so that's what today we're talking about is the church. Um, and when you, when I say the word church, I know a lot of people, um, unless you're super mature, um, would think of it as this church service, as what we do on Sunday at the Lamar Street Center um, for an hour if I'm preaching um, and a couple hours of Caleb's preaching. Um, and that's, but that's not what I'm talking about. We're not talking about our worship service. That, that's one hour of a full week that we do, um, but we still exist as the church outside of today. And that's what we're talking about today. So you think of church, you think, I come to church to, to feel good. I come to church to experience God, to feel his presence, to enjoy the music, enjoy the worship, enjoy the fellowship, enjoy the delicious communion um, styrofoam that we have right now. Um, we still haven't recovered from COVID in that regard, but you come to feel good. Or maybe you come to church to feel bad. Maybe you're the kind of person that wants to be reminded often that you're, that you're bad, that you're a sinner. Um, or maybe you come because your wife wants you to come or because your husband wants you to come or because you have an expectation put on you by your parents that you should come to church. Or you just grew up with a story that that's just what you do. You just, on Sunday mornings, you go to church. That's just what you do to be a good person. But none of these by themselves, there's a little bit of truth um, that, that plays out in all of them. And they all get us here, but none of those capture the nature or the purpose or the essence of what the church is, of what God's people is. The church is the body of Christ. The church is God's people um, made up of all Christians throughout history and around the world. And this body is made is manifested in places like this, in local congregations, wherever followers of Jesus are found. And so we're going to flesh out what that means. That was a big like the theology book statement to make. And we're going to flesh out what that looks like with a couple of passages. Um, and the first passage is going to show us that it's all about Jesus. Um, that is in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. Colossians is a, is a letter written by Paul to the church in Colossae um, a long time ago. <laughs> okay, so starting in verse 15, he says, He is the image, talking about Jesus Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him, all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything for God was pleased to have his fullness, have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Okay, Colossians 1. It's all about Jesus. And this is 
You might be thinking, what does this have to do with the church? There's just a little tiny verse in there, but we're going to talk about what it has to do with the church right now. Okay, so follow me. Follow along. Verse 15, he says he's the firstborn over all creation. Now, this is a fancy way of saying that not that he was the first person born or that he was created, but that he has first place over creation, that Jesus, in other words, has primacy over all things. He is, he's the guy. He's not just number one, but he is number one. He is prime. He's the king. And in verse 16, we're told that in him, all things were created. So in other words, Paul, the author of this book, is saying that the whole created order in time and space owes its existence to him. So not only does he have primacy over the old creation, he also, the old creation also owes its existence to him. They exist to him through, for, for through all things, uh, it, all things were created in him. So old creation in verses 15 and 16, he talks about Jesus has primacy over all things and everything owes its existence to him. Okay. That's the first part, old creation. Then in verse 18, Paul shifts gears from talking about Jesus' relationship to the old creation and says that Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. Okay, So what Paul is saying, what we talked about last week, that Christ has risen and his resurrection is contagious. His resurrection means resurrection for the world, resurrection for, for you, resurrection for all things, because all things are tainted by sin because of him they experience resurrection life. His resurrection is contagious. So he died, he resurrected, and that initiates the rescue and renewal of this world. And then in verse 19 and 20, Paul continues and says that, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Paul's saying he's the real deal. He's not just a, a prototype. He's, he, by his person and work, uh, by his work and his personhood, new creation owes its existence also to him. So he's talking about old creation in the beginning, new creation in the end. There's a pattern. If we step back and look at it, he's saying that God or that Jesus has primacy and the existence is owed to him from the old creation to the new creation, all the way from the beginning to the end. That's what this passage is claiming. There's a pattern. And then there's a space between. You might be thinking, what, like I said at the beginning, what does this have to do with, what does this passage have to do with the church? Um, and he goes in verse 18, right there in the, mid, in the middle, just a little tiny phrase. He says, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. So there's old creation. Jesus is prime over it and ha- it owes existence to him. There's new creation. Jesus is prime over it and owes his existence to him. And right there in the middle is the church. And Jesus is prime over it and owes its existence to him. And that's where we're at. That's where we're at in the story. This one passage kind of summarizes really quickly the whole picture of old creation to new creation, and we exist right there in the middle. Paul describes Jesus and the old creation and the new creation, and right and we're right in between, showing us that the church occupies this space between, and more importantly, that Jesus is still the head of it. So Jesus is the beginning and the end, and he's also the middle. He's also the prime and the king of the middle. It's still about Jesus. We didn't, like I said earlier, we didn't just move on from Jesus after last week's sermon. It's still all about him. It still culminates in him. In Him. But we, the church, exist within and between this broken and sinful reality and, and before this um, amazing, beautiful, restored reality. We're like the young adulthood of, of God's story right now. Like, okay, so what I mean by that, like you're on your own, but you're, you know, you pay your own rent and all this kind of stuff, but you're still on your parents' insurance. Um, or you pay your own bills and you're legal age to drink and smoke and all that kind of stuff, but you can't, you're not old enough to rent a car. Um, 
that's where I'm at in life. Uh, <laughs> um, so it's pretty personal. Um, but that's where the church is. We're in this in-between phase of, of we're still, we still are in bondage to decay, but because Christ has set us free, we get to experience a new life that, that Jesus is going to bring fully in the future, that is going to culminate fully in the future. And so we still see the effects of old creation, the death that was ushered in from the fall, but we also have the down payment of the new creation living within us and one day will be fully risen with Christ. So we occupy this space between. That's, who, that's where we are. Jesus is still in charge. It's still all about Jesus right in this in-between young adult puberty situation that we're in. But that still begs the question, what are we as a church supposed to do in that awkward space between the old and new creation? What, are, what, are we, what do we ought to do? So we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians, another letter that Paul wrote. Um, and if you read... First and second Corinthians, you'll see that they're pretty messed up church, had a lot of things going on. So they needed a lot of correction. So they needed two letters. Um, and actually, there were more than two letters. These are just the two that we have um, about Second Corinthians. So we're going to go to Second Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 21, just to see what it is that we ought to be doing in this puberty phase of God's story. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet we now no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So from 16 to, to 19, we see basically what we talked about last week, that God has made us new, that he's reconciled us, and that we are reconciled to him and now have new life. And the rest of it, it talks about where do we go from there. We are renewed people, we are reconciled people, and, and what, are we, what do we ought to do now? So as a church... We occupy that in-between space. It's our job to reveal new creation, the creation which is to come, continuing Jesus' ministry that he was doing here on earth, the ministry of reconciliation that Paul calls it as ambassadors. So if you hear, you probably hear the word ambassador, the title ambassador, and think of like a governmental thing, which isn't fully wrong. It's the, the ambassador um, in our terms is a designated position by the government um, as a, you're like a resident in a, or a representative in a foreign state or country or in front of an international organization, I'm your representative of our country. Um, so it has this idea of being a representative of a different kingdom, of a different country, in a foreign country. And that's not fully wrong here. That's actually very accurate of what our job is. Our job is to represent and proclaim to the world that restoration, redemption, and resurrection are coming and can only be found in Jesus Christ. We are We are redeemed people proclaiming redemption. We are reconciled people proclaiming reconciliation. We are people who once did not have any hope, but now have hope in Christ, proclaiming that hope to the world. That is our job, to rep Jesus, to represent Jesus. He has committed to us, the, uh, a really good way to think about it is to like just think of the classic, a leader handing off a job or the reins of the mission to someone that they trust. Um, someone like Moses, um, he made Joshua his successor. Or you can think of uh, the Lion King when, um, what's his name, Mufasa entrusts Simba with 
the land. He, he looks there standing on Pride Rock, and he looks and says, everything the light touches is your kingdom, and one day will be yours to leave. This is like what it is. Jesus Christ died and resurrected and then gave us the reins. He told us to do the ministry of reconciliation, to proclaim his kingdom. We are reconciled, proclaiming reconciliation. Redeemed, proclaiming redemption. Once hopeless, now reclaiming or uh, representing hope. Oh, my notes got messed up. Sorry, guys. There it is. But this begs another question. Okay, so we're supposed to be being doing what Jesus did, doing the uh, ministry of reconciliation, proclaiming redemption and hope to the world. But how do we do that? How is that fleshed out? How do we continue Jesus's ministry on earth on His behalf? How do we reveal the new creation? The simple answer is do what Jesus did. Well, I mean, simply just do what he, he did, but that's kind of hard to do. If we as a church occupy this space in between called to do it, it's just, it's just to continue what he did. It's just continue doing what Jesus did. Except it's not that simple. Looking at Jesus did and applying it to our lives can actually be really difficult. I mean, Jesus was alive and did his ministry 2,000 years ago, and there's a lot of things about our society that don't reflect his society. How are we supposed to take Jesus' ministry as recorded in the Gospels and contextualize it to our century, to our culture? Now, the Gospel accounts don't give us any information about how Jesus would confront the ethics of social media or how Jesus would confront uh, the problem of climate change or, or, or the political polarization. Um, we, it will give us wisdom that will lead us into um, how to engage those things. And thank God, when Caleb gets back, that's what we're talking about. So I'm not just going to leave you hanging just for a couple weeks. Um, but how are we supposed to continue this ministry if the Bible doesn't give us just explicit instructions on everything? <clears throat> now, we can answer this simply and look at the Great Commission, which is uh, go, he said, he said, to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in my name and teaching them what I taught you and that he is with us. Okay, we know that. Or we can go to Acts, and we're going to go to Acts, actually, Acts, 20, Acts 2, 42 to 47, and this is, this is the best answer, simple answer, that I could talk about in a sermon that I have for you guys, is how do we be Jesus' representatives, be his ambassadors um, for the world right now? Um, this is right after, um, so Jesus came, he, he came back, he talked to his disciples for 40 days, and then he said that, he was gonna, that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them, and then it did, and Peter gave this amazing sermon, and then this says what the result of the church starting was. This is the beginning of God's church after um, Jesus ascended back to heaven after his resurrection. <laughs> they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold all their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So this is what it looks like. And, and I'm not, this is not me trying to tell, I'm not, I'm not bringing this, this up today to like tell people to change what you're doing. We, we are a continuation of what happened 2,000 years ago. This is what they started with, okay? People devoted themselves. They were devoted to their community, to the people of God, to the church of God, and to the apostles' teaching, which is the teaching that was handed down from Jesus to the apostles. So they were devoted, 
immersed in, committed to the word of God, the teaching of God. So being the church is being immersed in, devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God. And also devoted, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the people of the community. So they were devoted to the ideas of God and the love of God and to God, but they're also devoted to the horizontal relationships around them of the people that were also in the vertical relationship with God. So not only was it devotion to their Lord and Savior, but devotion to their brothers and sisters who are fleshing out this faith thing with them. And so being devoted to the people around you. And this doesn't just mean devoted like I, I, I Dion, commit to serve you guys, um, to, serve, to be in service, and I want to help you. But it's, it's devotion to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So it's devotion to not just I'm going to serve you, I'm going to be a part of this and contribute, but I'm devoted to being friends with you guys. I'm devoted to being a true part of your life that, is, that wants to see the best for you and that wants to encourage you and that wants to, to, to flesh out this faith life with you and not just give you things. You know, it, it talks about how they sold their possessions and shared everything and the proceeds went to everybody. That's for sure a big part of it. And maybe even the first part of it for you. Maybe you're an introvert and it's easier for you to just commit yourself in service than it is to friendship and the friendship comes. It'll come. But this is what we as a church ought to be seeking to embody. Um, when things get hard, when things get muddy, when it's hard to, to determine what it is that we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to be proclaiming this message of reconciliation, this is what we need to come back to, is devotion to God's Word, so devotion to understanding His story and where we fit in to His story, and devotion to the people and the church of God. And then it says that the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. So through our proclamation of reconciliation to the world and fleshed out in our devotion to God and his church and his people, God adds people to his people. He saves people. So it's not like the perfect answer. And we have a bunch of books in the New Testament and the, um, that will help us flesh out more specific things, but we don't have time to flesh out all those specific things of what it looks like. But we are proclaimers of God's reconciliation and committers to God's people and to God. And, and so, so there's a lot of ambiguity in that. What does it look like for you to be committed to your church body, to be committed here at True Life, or if you're visiting from out of town, committed to your church? One of, my, one of my favorite authors, N.T. Wright, actually provides a really helpful illustration um, with that. So he, 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 he speaks of this, this is a hypothetical situation. He speaks of this lost script that, of a Shakespeare play. It's a six-act script, so, uh, and then the first four acts are found, and the last act is, is found. So act five is gone. Well, it's Shakespeare play, so they want to do something with it. They want to use it. So the play is given to actors, and they're asked to work out Act 5 for themselves. They're asked to figure it out themselves. So what they do, what the actors do, this is an illustration from N.T. Wright. This didn't actually happen. Is they immerse themselves in the culture and the language of Shakespeare. They study all of his work. They study all of his past writings, Macbeth and the other ones. <laughs> That's how much I paid attention. <laughs> they study all of his works and become intimately familiar with the parts of of the plays that embody who Shakespeare is. And they also obviously immerse themselves in the initial um, acts of the play, but they improvise the fifth act based on what they have studied, based on what they immerse themselves in, based on 
um, the trajectory, the thrust, um, the personality of who they understood Shakespeare to be as they had come to understand it. And I think that this illustration really, help, it really helps me understand how the Bible can guide our lives and help us continue Jesus' ministry as the church. God might not have said anything about social media, but he says plenty of things that will contribute to how we can engage with people on social media. That's just one example. And so over the past few weeks, we've seen God's grand story unfold over the course of five acts, creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, church, and the next week is restoration, the end. Um, season finale, says David. Um, but the Bible doesn't give us an answer for every question or problem. But by immersing ourselves in his story, in the story that he's writing, by immersing ourselves um, and becoming intimately familiar with the life of Jesus and intimately familiar of, with how God um, has worked in history, we can faithfully trust and do what Jesus did and, and, and continue his ministry so that the world can come face to face with the possibilities of new creation in their life, of resurrection life in their life. So in conclusion, God's story is a story with room for all people, for all of us. It's a story that invites us to become active participants in his redemptive purposes. And one of the ways that we can do that, one of the ways that we can help and step into God's story and participate is by engaging, like we do every week, in the practice of communion. Um, communion offers us as believers as a way to experience God, as a way to well commune with God. It's an avenue through which we can draw near to him and physically align our lives with him and his story. When we practice communion, we, what we believe is we're doing it is more than just eating a piece of bread and drinking a bit of juice. But what we believe that we're actually doing is drawing near to nearer into a life with God. And so if you didn't get a, if you're a believer and you didn't get, get a communion cup on the way in, go ahead and grab it. Um, we practice open communion to all believers. So Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So you take the bread. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So the apostle Paul, when reflecting on the act of communion in one of his letters, said that whenever we eat bread and drink the juice in his cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So let us rejoice, therefore, in the knowledge that Christ will return and that we get to participate in this coming of his kingdom. So right now, when you take communion, embrace the part of the story while you take communion. And as we worship the song, embrace the part of the story that we're in to be participants and proclaimers of his reconciliation. And in doing that, in taking communion and worshiping and going from here and applying what the Bible has for our lives, we proclaim the God who has rescued, redeemed, and will return. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the ministry that you did while here on earth and the, the model, that, not only the model that we can follow, but just the spiritual reality that the things you did here have bearing on us today. God, as we try to continue your work, um, as we follow you and embrace you um, in this life of continuing what you did, God, um, we just ask for your strength. We ask for your comfort um, and wisdom as we immerse ourselves in your story, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.